Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Luke chapter 10. If you got your Bibles and want to turn there, we'd love to have you look there with us. Last week we started a new series on Christian hospitality, and I said that really the entire Bible, start to finish, is a story of God's hospitality to us. First, through His giving us life and giving us free reign to run ragged in a world um, where that was perfectly designed for us, but then in giving us grace even when we rebelled against Him and walking us home so that we might enjoy being in His presence even though we did not earn it or deserve it, but just because of His mercy and His grace. And so we see God's hospitality to us over and over again. And so we started there because the gospel of God's grace is foundational to everything we do. So before we can talk about being hospitable, we need to recognize God's hospitality hospitality to us. We love because He first loved us, and because God was hospitable to us, we are called to be hospitable to others. In fact, Romans uh, 15 says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So our hospitality honors God because it looks like God. And when we're hospitable to another, it looks like what God has done for us through Christ. So today I want us to talk about the hospitality of attention. And that's something that when it's done sincerely and meaningfully is incredibly powerful in our life. Uh, just something as simple. And I know it sounds like, like maybe it's not the, the earth-shattering, world-changing force uh, that, that I think we'll see it is, but attention is an incredibly powerful thing because it meets a deeply human desire that's hardwired into our lives. Now, here's what I know about our world. There's lots of contradictions uh, that we have to walk through in our world where people pretend to give us attention but don't really care. Have you ever had the experience of going to a coffee shop and they say, you know, they, they, they act really, you know, really interested in you as a person. And they say, you know, oh, tell me your name, please. You know, my name's Jeff. And then you get a coffee cup about three minutes later with Jess with two S's on it. You're like, well, thank you for the personal attention and care. Uh, you know, depending on what your name is, there's probably three or four names that always get confused with whatever your name really is. But it's all done in the pretense of, I care so much about you. I want to put your personal name on a cup. I just can't really remember what it was or know how to spell it. Um, we get personalized letters in the mail. Ever get one of these that looks like it's handwritten and they've done such a good printing job on it that it looks like it's this handwritten letter and you open it up and you're like, oh, who's this friend I forgot about? And you begin to look at it, you're like, it's just car insurance. Like they just were trying to sell me car insurance. And probably everyone in my city got a personalized handwritten letter just like this that made me open it because they made me feel like it was going to be personal and special, but it really was just a marketing play. Uh, any of you relate to, to that? Uh, then there's other things uh, that we see. A friend of mine sent me a, a picture this way, or, or saw a picture a friend of mine posted online of a meme, and I want to see if any of you can relate to this guy. It took you a minute, but you got it, didn't you? Like, you know exactly how that feels. 
you know, we, we created these things in our world where uh, instead of just giving us a representative, they gave us a personalized digital experience where we can speak to a computer that can understand us. And uh, the problem is they don't ever understand what you do. And so you say something and they're like, I'm sorry, I did not understand that command. You know, and so you, you do what that picture says. You're like, representative. You know, you like pronounce it differently. Like, I'm going to say it louder and slower in hopes that the machine gets it. What's the machine say? I'm sorry, I did not understand. So then you're just, you know, eventually you're like, representative, representative, representative. You know, you say it faster and more. And then finally, if you're like me, you just start pushing buttons. Like zero, zero, zero. Like, <laughs> like if I just hit something, like is it give me someone to talk to because you're just frustrated. And what's the computer say? I'm sorry, let's begin again. And you just get frustrated, right? So uh, you feel my pain? You can relate to all of this? Um, you understand the importance of attention, don't you? That's why in a phone we try to create this technology that feels more personal. So now you just put your phone up to your face and it automatically opens because it knows you. Because you have a deep relationship with your phone. And your phone, when you're in this presence, just goes, Oh, might I open for you, oh beloved master? You know, and just opens and begins to do whatever bidding you have because it cares deeply about you. Uh, this is the, the message that technology tries to tell us. Um, because it's trying to simulate something that's really important, which is that personal attention from us to someone else really does matter. And it really does shape who we are. In fact, we were created with a desire to be known and loved by other people. This is normal. It's innate. It's a human desire everyone possesses. Um, Andy Crouch in his book, The Life We're Looking For, begins with a description of how powerful this need is. I'm just going to read a little bit because I thought this was extraordinary. He says, after an ordinary delivery, after a few startled cries, newborn infants typically spend an hour or so in a stage doctors call quiet alert. Though they can only focus their vision roughly 8 to 12 inches away, their eyes are wide open. They're searching with an instinct far deeper than intention. They're looking for a face. And when they find one, especially a face that gazes back at them, they fix their eyes on it, having found what they were most urgently looking for. Recognition is the primary task of infancy. Feeding, crying, and even sleeping are just a support system for this most essential work of figuring out who we are and where we are by making contact with other people, seeing them see us, and gradually beginning to build our sense of self through their eyes. Isn't that fascinating? Well, he says, the development of psychologist Edward Tronick demonstrated this in a widely replicated experiment called Still Face, in which infants and toddlers sit across from their caregivers who have been told to avoid all facial expressions in responses to their children. The videos of these experiments, which last only a few minutes, are wrenching to watch as adults feign indifference to the children's presence, while the children exhibit greater and greater degrees of dysregulation, writhing in frustration and ultimately collapsing in distress. This is a result of just a few minutes of deprivation of attention. When children are deprived of this kind of recognition and mutual attention for months or years, they may possibly survive, but they do not thrive. Isn't that amazing, the effect that simple attention of one human being to another human being can have on a personal soul. Friends, you were created 
to be seen, to be recognized, to be known, to receive the attention of someone who loves you. That's the way God made us. He designed us to come out of the womb with a hunger for that kind of, of attention of someone who knows us and loves us, and ultimately for a relationship with a God who sees you and knows you and loves you and cares for you. Friends, attention is a powerful force because of the way in which we were made. And God created each person in our world with a dignity and worth. And we, as fellow citizens in this world, we get to choose whether to work into that recognition and showing of attention to others or working against it by withdrawing and retreating and um, fighting against that creative order. Friends, here's what I want us to think about today. If the church is to be the most hospitable place on earth, that means we are going to have to be the people who are most attentive to the actual persons that are around us. We are going to be the ones that are most attentive to the actual persons that are meant. Um, so let's look at Acts, uh, I'm sorry, at Luke chapter 10. And we were in Acts for like 10 months. I can't get out of that apparently. But uh, Luke was actually the precursor to Acts, the same author, but uh, Luke came first. So we're going to be in uh, Luke, yeah, Luke chapter 10. Um, we're going to jump in here and starting in verse 38 at the story of Mary and Martha, which tell us all about attention. Now, as Jesus' disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. A famous story. Many, how many of you heard this story before? Uh, it's one that, that, that gets preached an awful lot. We come back to it all the time. But it's got uh, two sisters that invite Jesus over and his disciples over for a meal. Um, no pressure, right? Just the future savior of the world. Like, what do you roll out for appetizers for, for the king of the universe? Like the God who made it all, and you're supposed to roll out something that's going to impress him. So there's a little bit of pressure at stake here, and Martha's obviously feeling some of that. And while Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, Martha's running around, scrambling, scraping things together, trying to do everything just right. And this, this story is told in such a way that these two sisters are meant to be a case study in hospitality. They're, they're meant to be a case study that shows two different approaches to life, two different ways of attacking a problem, two different ways we can operate. And now, and what, one of the things that we have to understand is that this whole thing was Martha's idea. Uh, this was her home. Uh, Jesus didn't come in and be like, hey, I'm just going to show up unannounced. Martha invited Jesus to come. So she knew this was, gonna, this was about to come down. And so the, the, you know, she's probably a hospitable person, has a gift of hospitality. Uh, but the rest of the story is really an adventure in her missing the main point of what it is that she's come to do. And so these two sisters serve as a case study. Now, here's what I realized for you and for me. Some of you will be like, look, I'm not really a hospitality guy. Like, rolling out appetizers and setting up tables, not really my thing. This story probably applies to some of you, but doesn't really apply to me. So I'm going to check out, get on my phone and scroll and look at some other things for today. 
Um, but here's what I want to say is, before you dismiss this as something that's just a domestic problem that doesn't apply to you, consider how this scenario might actually apply in different situations. In fact, it actually translates into any kind of environment. Uh, this could happen in an office when you're getting ready uh, to make a presentation to a major client. Uh, this could happen whenever you're students, you're heading back to school. Sorry to put that on you. I know a couple of you are like, I'm holding on to the last three days of summer before I have to go back, but it's going to get here sooner or later. And when you get there, there's going to be new students who transferred into your school and don't know a soul sitting in your chem lab or in your band or on your football team. And wherever it is they are, you're going to have a chance to either run past them or run into all the things that you have to get done in terms of your school and catching up with all your friends and all your things. But what we need to understand is that it doesn't really matter what the scenario or the location is. What matters is what is, is more the, the attention that we give wherever it is we find ourselves in the midst of other people. Let's look at verse 39. Um, what two verbs are used to describe what Mary is doing? So Mary's the hero of the story, if you just don't know if you didn't know that. But, but Jesus, well, and Jesus is always the hero. But in the terms of the two sisters, Mary's the one that got it right. And, and Jesus says she did the good thing. Martha's the one that didn't do it right. So when we look at Mary, what were the amazing, impressive things that Mary did? She sat down. Way to go. And you guys are so far doing pretty good. Uh, except for whoever it was that just walked out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, just, just make that really awkward right now. Uh, but, who, but, but Mary just, she sat down. And what's the other thing Mary did? She listened. Like, astounding, right? I mean, like, that's, that's something you put in your resume. Like, what are you good at? Man, I can sit, and I can just shut up and pay attention. And, and that's actually a really good thing in the midst of this because of what's going on in her heart. But she actually is very focused on Jesus. She's, it says, sitting at Jesus' feet. I mean, she's actually, it's actually a phrase that's used oftentimes to talk about discipleship. So in that culture, disciples were those that came underneath a master teacher, and they would see this guy who was a teacher, and they would become pupils or learners, and they would sit, and they would try to soak and gather up all the information of the life and the teaching and the, and the way of life of the teacher. And so this phrase, sitting at the feet of, is actually saying that Mary was a disciple or a learner, a follower of the way of Jesus, and she's paying close attention to what it is that he's saying. Now, this is a pretty stark contrast from Martha, isn't it? Notice what verse 40 says, the descriptor of Martha. What does it say, uh, what does it say about Martha? Now, Martha was distracted. Isn't that interesting? Mary's sitting, listening. Martha's distracted. What is it she's distracted with? Much serving. Yeah. General, general comment, not, not look at this passage, but if I were to say like in the Bible, is the Bible pro-serving or against serving? Service is usually a good thing, right? Like service is usually something we're supposed to do. And yet here, Martha's being distracted by a good thing. She's distracted with much serving. And so she's running around doing all kinds of things, but she's actually missing the main point. The point of having Jesus over was not to get really busy. The point was to be with Jesus, to pay attention to him, to acknowledge him. Now, I'm going to probably step on some toes because we all need this sometimes, but you guys understand that our culture is just killing us with the pressure to perform and perfect and control everything in your life. 
Like you, you feel that weight sometimes. That everywhere you turn, there's something that says you have more to do, you have better to do. There's things that you need to, that are out of control in your life, and you need to get yourself together and, um, in order to chase down everything that you have. We created a real, um, a real performative culture. In fact, you know what the real culprit is? It's, it's your phone. If you just got, now, here, here's the technology is a hindrance, and it is actually, I think, giving us lots of problems. I've said over and over that I think phones ought to come with a Surgeon General's warning. I think they can actually be very destructive in our life. But the real issue isn't technology. The primary problem is the internal drive that that technology taps into that makes us more compulsive in the way in which we chase things like control and performance and um, success. Um, but we, it really is everywhere in the world, from magazines to articles to links that are posted all over. You see these things like, you know, 12 keys to back-to-school success. You're like, oh, it's time for that. Like, I need to make sure that I do all those because I love my kids, right? Like, I don't want to send my kid back to school as a failure, so I better read the article. And so we click the link. It's 20 strategies for increased productivity at work. 48 meals you can't live without. You're like, oh, I need to know what those are. And so you click that link, and it's 103 things you must do in your 20s. Um, you know, and you're like, well, I don't want to be a loser in my 30s, so I better do all those things before I get to my 20s. And so you just get really busy and you start chasing all the things. Now, you admit it, like, you click those things, don't you? I mean, not all of them, but even when you don't click them, there's this kind of thing in you that goes, there's probably a lot of stuff I should do in my 20s, otherwise I'm a failure. Even if you don't read all of the things that are there, whenever you get there, what the headline ought to say is 186,000 ways to ruin a happy life. Because you can't chase all those things, and you can't do all those things, and you're not going to really be a success. It's nonstop, and it's no wonder that we're really exhausted all the time, isn't it? It's no wonder we live lives that are distracted by lots of good things. What was Martha's problem? She was distracted by many things. There were good things that she could do, but they distracted her from the most important thing. Friends, do you understand that we're increasingly distracted? Like our, our attention spans are actually decreasing. From 2000 to 2013, the human attention span dwindled from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. As a contrast, let me just say this. A goldfish has an attention span of 9 seconds. What's a goldfish do? Like, they just sit there and like bubble in the deal, looking at the, looking at the, you know, looking out the glass wall at something. And what the article and the studies are showing is that your attention span is less than the goldfish. Like, that's problematic. That's not good. And one guy writes, he says, the division of attention, meaning that because we're constantly attracted by things, our attention is scattered and divided, aka distracted, like Martha. The division of attention demanded by the internet strains our cognitive abilities and diminishes our actual learning and understanding. We have a cell phone and it convinces us that we should get immediate fixes and immediate answers to every problem right now. We chase this God named Google. And he's like the little G God that we're like, oh, Master Google, tell me how to do this. You know, like, I, I kind of miss times, like, there's no excuse for guys to not have a DIY life. Like, you can YouTube anything. Like, I wish there was time of like, well, babe, I don't know how to do that. We just need to call someone. And she's like, YouTube, here you go. You know, like, that's, that's the way it works is you go, Oh, I didn't want to know how to do that. It was better when I didn't know. 
So we're more digitally connected than ever before, but we're also more emotionally and physically and mentally distracted than ever before. And like Martha, by many things, we continue to run after all these different things. Now here's where it begins to creep in on us. In a performative culture, fear and control are always lurking in the shadows. In a culture that cultivates performance, that we have to do everything, know everything, be everything all the time, underneath that, there's always a sense of fear and control. And so we begin to, these things begin to creep in our lives as small fears. Fear, fear that we will be perceived as not good enough. Fear uh, that something bad might happen that we were supposed to avoid or control. Fear that we might miss out on something good that we were supposed to know about. The phrase FOMO on that. And friends, Statistically speaking, all the research says this is getting worse, especially for young people. That that our young people are being completely just beat up with a sense that they are supposed to be in charge and in control of everything, including their image. In fact, um, it's interesting because teenagers have more leisure time, not less. They're physically safer than any generation in history. If you grew up in the 70s, can I get an amen? Um, And yet, they're also unhealthier than ever. Here's where the timeline, where that began to shift. In 2012 was the first time more than 50% of Americans owned a smartphone. In 2013, the stats on loneliness, anxiety, depression, and suicidality began to spike. It's interesting what has happened. And students, let me just tell you, God loves you and doesn't want you to be a slave to what everyone else does. But it's going to take running to the Lord for attention. Friends, let's jump in. Do you see how easy it is for us to get stuck in the Martha syndrome? For us to get distraction disease? For us to to run after all those things? Look at verse 40. See how Martha responds. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone and tell her to help me? (laughs) Can you relate to that response? I mean, like, you know you do that sometimes. Like, we all do that at times. Like, we get it, and we just get too much, and we just get frustrated, and you're just like, ah, yeah. And what we see with Martha is the way distracted state gives us misconceptions. And notice how many false assumptions she makes. Uh, first, she says, do you not care? She's talk- who's she talking to? Jesus. Um, do you think she read that one right? Like, no, I think, you know, she's making a false assumption about how Jesus feels about her. And then she says, my sister left me, making false assumptions about her sister's action. Uh, Mary didn't leave Martha. Mary went to Jesus because she was valuing the most important thing. Uh, she says that, um, that, that she left me here to serve all alone. She's making false assumptions about her own actions. Was she really serving or was she just doing? She wasn't serving the main cause of being with Jesus. She was busy about much activity. That looked like service. And she says, tell her then to help me. See, sometimes being distracted means that we make misguided demands about how others must act. Friends, hurry and worry in her heart colored everything so that she sees the, this entire scenario in a distracted way and her attention is an un, unimportant factor. Friends, the, the pressures and worries of our day hijack our brains and cause us to fall into the same Martha trap. Now let's just think about kind of where do we go from this. Because uh, rather than reversing these unhealthy patterns, 
what most of us do is we keep making choices to just move faster. It's like, well, I'm not getting caught up. I'm not fixing the problem. I think I need to accelerate the pace of my hurry and my worry, trying to resolve all the things that are there instead of shifting and giving our attentiveness to God and to others. But let's watch what Jesus says as he begins to address the situation in verse 41. What's Jesus first? What's he do first? Martha, Martha. Says the name twice. I kind of laughed at him. Like, if you came from the south, he probably would have thrown in a honey there. Like, Martha, honey. Like, you're way off. But he, he, he stops. He says it twice to make her slow down. Martha, Martha. You have my attention. But let me, let, me, let me address what it is that you said. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Isn't that fascinating that Jesus stops and he addresses her very personally? He gives her full attention and says, Martha, Martha. And you are hurried and worried about lots of stuff. I acknowledge that. I see that. I understand where you're coming from and what's going on. And she became worried about all these things. She was distracted from the most important thing. And here what we see is Jesus is going to address things not from how much she was doing and accomplishing and performing, but actually from her being and who she was and what she was bringing to the table internally. And here we see an incredibly important principle for our hospitality. And it's this. If you're not experiencing peace internally, you cannot offer attention externally. See, what's happening in here drives what goes on out there. And if you're not experiencing rest and peace from the Lord here, you're not going to be able to be attentive and aware of what's going on out there. You have to first settle what's going on internally. And friends, this is where Christianity offers us hope in a world that doesn't offer us a way to address this. Your culture has sold you a lie, ultimately, uh, that you are the sum of your flesh and your feelings, and that you should pursue your desires, and that you should take whatever is internal and you should run after it until you find ways in order to gratify that. But Christianity tells us that our lives are actually far more complex and richer and deeper than that. And we're not a slave to our desires and emotions, but that God actually transforms our lives. So he actually can change who we are. And this is how the spiritual life works is we learn to trust God in his ways more than we trust our normal feelings in our own ways. And with God's help, we have to learn to govern our lives in ways that his character begins to show through. Let me quickly just run through a little bit of this. Galatians 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are actually against the Spirit, and the desires of the flesh are against the uh, Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You understand what's going on there in Galatians. It's saying there's stuff that goes on in here that's not really from God and not really going to lead you in a way of human flourishing. Can I get an amen? Is there stuff in your heart and your soul sometimes that begin to spin out? I'll be honest. When we went to meet with a gas company this week and they said, well, that gas pipe's too low. It's going to have to be buried more deeply. And I'm like, I've been waiting 10 years to get in this building. We're supposed to be in this week or the next week or the next week. Can you tell me when we're going to be in? And they went, well, we'll have to go back and look at it. See, what, what internally in my emotions and in my soul, I didn't stand up and go, woohoo! Like, I'm so happy about a possible delay to us getting all the things we want. I wrestled with that. I came back to our team and I'm like, ugh, not happy in my face. Like, it was contorted. And honestly, it took me about two days to just pull back and just go, all right, Lord, like, what do I know to be true? This is your deal, not my deal. 
You came up with the whole idea of the church. You're the one that said that, 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 that we're, to, we're to build a church and we're to build the church as God's people, not as a building. You're the one that told me that the buildings are not the thing that makes us what we are. So I had, to, I had to bring my feelings and my emotions back in line with what I knew to be true about who God is, about his care and love for us as his church, and about his provision, his protection, and his guidance of us. But I had to wrestle with that. And, and what I want you to know is that's normal. That's what the spiritual life looks like. It looks like bringing all of who you are to all of who God is and allowing that, him to reshape and reform that so that you become transformed and become something new. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, what the Spirit yields, produces, works in us is something new in our attitudes and our actions so that we become something different. Friends, is that good news for someone who deals with the Martha syndrome? It is. We all need to know this. The biblical virtue elevator here is self-control. It means we have to learn to steward our emotions and our energy and our time in God-honoring ways. We're just not a slave to those spinning out going, oh, I don't know what to do. Make her do better. And coming to, coming to Christ like, like, a, like a Martha. Oh, I'm going to run out of time here. Um, let me just read this text as well because I think it's helpful. Matthew 6. Um, let me read this out of the message. Chase actually read this on our podcast this past week and I just thought it fit perfectly with this as a paraphrase of how it is we do that. It says, people who, do not, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over all these things. But you both know God and how he works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. You see how that works? How we have to set aside the Martha syndrome of running around and being distracted by many things and run after the one thing that matters the most and how that reshapes and reforms us internally so that we're freed up to be present with people around us and give our time and energy to everyone else around us and not just to the things that are, that are spinning us out. Um, friends, you notice the, the last thing that Jesus says um, to Mary or about Mary? He says, Mary has chosen the good. That word chosen is significant here. It means that we have a choice. That, that we're not just slaves to what's going on in here, but Mary, Mary had to choose. That Mary could have run the way of Martha and run around doing all, been distracted by all the things, but Mary has chosen to sit down and be present to give her full attention to Jesus. And I give you a whole sermon on on the value of us listening to Jesus as our master, and, and that's a whole different sermon. We'll really just look at the one idea today of what does hospitality look like? And what I want to start is for us to be hospitable people, We've got to internally be available to the Lord so that what he's at work here allows us to turn ourselves up and give full attention to those around us. Friends, we can't make more time that we can steward our time and our energy, but it's going to be a choice. Life is full of trade-offs, and you can't do both. You can't be distracted with many things and be totally absorbed in what it is, in the one thing that Mary that what Jesus says to Mary is the most important thing. Friends, what's the one thing we can't miss out on when it comes to hospitality? 
to love our neighbor expressed by offering our full attention to them. So one of the greatest aspects of love is just that you see them, that you recognize them as those who carry God's image and were made and created in the image of God and are worthy of your attention. And you give them the, the dignity of just paying attention to what it is that's going on in their life. Friends, Jesus wants most, not your work, but your attention. The thing your spouse wants most is not you to be busy and distracted, but they want your attention. The things your kids want most is your attention. Not, not that you got everything just right for school, uh, as important as that may be this week. They want you and your attention. And what guests that come to our church want is they want us to love them by seeing them, by giving them our attention, by recognizing them as worthy of our full, full, full awareness of what's going on with them. So as much as we have to do, as much work as we have to do, as much serving and stuff that it is, friends, let's not let it distract us from the most important thing, which is to love the person in front of us, because that's the most important thing. If I'm going to give you a couple of assignments this week, one is, would you take time to give full attention to God? So that as you, as you talk to Him in prayer, just every day this week, would you just take a little bit of time and give God your undevoted attention and just say, God, would you help me with all my hurry and my worry? And allow Him to do work in here so that it makes you available to do the second thing which is find some place every day where you just you, you set aside all the other distractions, set aside the phone, and you give someone your undivided attention. So give the Lord your attention, allow Him to deal with your hurries and worries so that you're freed up because you internally are at peace with the Lord to externally give full attention to someone else and focus on someone else a little bit. Sound good? Let me pray for us. Father, we need your help. We just confess that we are a jumbled mess of hurry and worry and stress and performance and anxiety. We want to avoid doing all the bad stuff and we want to make sure we do all the good stuff. And Father, our world just works against what's going on in our hearts. And I just confess that I feel it. I feel the desire to always say the right thing and do the right thing and be the right thing. Father, we just need your help. We need your spirit. Go to, war, go to war with our flesh to produce something that's good in each of us. Father, I pray. I pray for my friends here as they walk through this week. Father, as kids and students go back to school, Father, whatever performance is in their heart right now, whatever hurry and worry and anxiety and stress, Father, I, just, I ask that you meet them where they are right now and that even, even now they might experientially know the release of those things that they would know that you love them, that you made them, that you designed them unique, and that there's no one else like them on earth, and that you see them as the apple of your eye, and that you dance wildly over them, rejoicing in their goodness. Father, as those that, that you made. And Father, I pray that as we receive rest in you and recognize your joy, Father, I pray that you would just help us to be attentive to those around us, to love well, person by person. Father, not to be distracted. Give a heart to those around us. We pray that Jesus.